0: I no longer are, or, or I mean I should probably say the narrative being that I make this assumption and then I build the story to support that assumption as I've gotten older I've worked real hard at, at not trying to put people in boxes because my experience has been that when you get to know somebody across race there's a, a, a tremendous amount of uh, knowledge and wisdom that they share. And the more you can build an ath- authentic relationship, the more you're able to communicate and share in that way. And assumptions prevent that from happening. So I've, I've done that a lot and- Could you share what, an example with us? Um, I, when I started um, graduate school, there were certain other graduate students That um, had a demeanor about them, some of the white folks. Uh, And I found that uh, I immediately put them into a a category of being privileged or not knowing anything about my reality or my struggle or what goes on in in our community. And um, I discovered that as I got to know them, they were. Very knowledgeable about race. They were very committed to dealing with um, ending racism. Um, they were outspoken and um, they became very good friends and allies. Uh, and some of them even. Um, participated and and helped support me in going after some big issues that we had as problems at school with the Dean who we thought wasn't really looking at bringing more faculty of color and that could speak to the service needs of our community in the Bay Area. Well when we wrote this book we had a lot of uh, discussions
1: what, what do you think, what were some of the challenges? Were there any, anything particularly challenging about us all writing the book together since we all came from such different backgrounds?
2: I think just the very fact that we were from different backgrounds automatically made it a little more complicated to come together and decide how we were gonna write this book. And so ultimately when we all decided to write our own personal stories, it meant that each person's story didn't have to look like the next person's story. You could just totally go out there and write about what you felt was important and significant to put into writing. Uh, about your own individual story. So it gave us a certain amount of freedom about what we were going to do, and I remember the many, many meetings and gatherings we had where we started sharing little kernels of what we would be writing about, and that's where the excitement started really coming in. We also knew Marvin, who was sort of spearheading the whole notion of writing our stories. I think a lot of it, came from his own personal fascination about how different we all were uh, in terms of the work we were doing and our life experiences. And it was the excitement of telling our own story which for me was the first time I really put it down on paper about some of the experiences I had and then the joy of hearing about other people's stories Uh, we just got really excited about getting the book published and showing to people and demonstrating how you can be coming from different places but you can have the same purpose in life the same intent about what you want to do and the work that you're doing, hence the diversity calling as part of the name of the book.
1: How about you, Juan? What were some of the challenges, were there any challenges in bringing so many of us together from such big different backgrounds?
0: Well, I think as people share their stories, some of what happens is you're going through a process of of remembering these stories and sometimes there's trauma tied to those stories and then you decide do i really want to write about that and and what we found is that it it forced us to begin to talk about some of these things that you may not have talked about or you tried to forget so we created a, a a bond where we became more open and sometimes stories change what you thought you were going to write about what you ended up writing about it changed yeah uh, i did and and then sometimes you're reading it and you're asking for for some real feedback about what you're talking about and and as i said it's not always easy when you you're trying to put words on paper about these experiences you know i've talked about my brother's suicide um i talked about uh, being knifed I talked about things that uh, were very personal that were tied to race and internalized racism and and I tried to tie it together in a way that wasn't just a war story but was about individual learning sharing um, and and hearing from the co-authors where they gave we gave each other feedback about the stories and what should, you know, what we might want to do differently. But it, you, it was like building a family and having a lot of trust and giving each other feedback and listening to the pain that was in the room. Yeah, and I think that we knew each other,
1: we thought we knew each other well, but it wasn't until we really started telling our stories that we got to know each other on a much deeper level. And I don't know if you how often you see that when you have people from different backgrounds, different cultures, different races, different sexual orientation, where people really can get that far down. But it seems to me that if you really want to have a conversation about race and you want to bring people together, you need to be willing to go that far down. So what do you think? What, what, what are some of the things that are most important for people? Like, say you have some people... A group of people from different different backgrounds. Maybe you have a white person, a black person, an Asian person. Somebody's from Africa. Somebody's from um, African American. Somebody's from Japan. Somebody from China. You have all different backgrounds. How can they start to have the conversation, particularly if they have not been around people who are different than them
2: that much? What would you suggest? I think one of the things is sometimes you start with the experiences that people may have in common Mm -hmm. and uh, finding out for example that somebody is from the same hometown that you're from or um, even from different towns but maybe there's something else that you have in common your major in college or your particular vocation that you start from there maybe the similarities help you at least begin a conversation and then from there, tell your story and see how there are differences in terms of what your life experience is compared to what somebody else's life experience is. And I think in particular in doing the work of diversity and inclusion we encounter people from all walks of life who are a part of this journey around uh, making a difference in the world when it comes to how people relate to one another. And so if you can kind of draw out what's going on with another person not only are you learning about them sometimes you're helping them learn about themselves in ways that they had never talked about before and oftentimes in some of the training and workshops that I conduct that's the reality of what happens with people is that it causes them to think about and talk about and perhaps write about. About some of their experiences that they don't think have any value or they don't necessarily remember them until you start talking about some aspect of being a human being on this planet and what brought you to who you are today and then there's an opportunity to look at what were happening to you in your formative years, what are some of the pivotal moments in your life that made a difference and may have caused your journey in life to go in a particular direction that maybe you didn't have in mind before. Now have you
1: had any experiences say like with a white person who you started talking to them and you could tell that they were maybe a little afraid or they were a little standoffish? Have you had experiences with people like that and then you were able to find a connection? Because in a way, if they're feeling freaked out, you actually are the facilitator in that conversation.
2: Yeah, and sometimes it's a matter of asking questions or it or just trying to clarify with them if you can kind of sense some uncomfortableness in them being with you. Finding something that's sort of neutral to begin a conversation with, whether it's a, around what kind of salad you're eating or you know maybe the color you're wearing or something like that that might help you get into. Uh, deeper conversation about who they are as an individual and you can't always find something in common with someone else so If that's the case talk about what's different and from a position of being appreciative of the difference that they have from you and hopefully finding a way to see that there's something positive about finding differences with one another well what would you say to someone who says well
1: We are in trouble. We need to do this now. I don't have time for any of this touchy feeling getting to know each other. Let's just deal with the issues right now. I'm in a hurry. Well, how do you deal with that? What do you say to somebody like that? Is that helpful? Is it a hindrance? What?
0: I think talking about race and building relationships and learning to respect each other uh, and hearing each other's stories is fundamental to any kind of movement I think if a group doesn't build that sense of purpose or what the, the norms are going to be between them then you can jump into any conversation whether you're saying let's try to end racism now or let's just have this conversation
3: you,
0: you need to do it in a way that allows for people to be heard particularly there are many examples where people of color have not been hurt and and purposely not been heard and that um, is part of the assault that's race based on people of color where they're invisible and uh, they're treated as though they have nothing valuable to say so if somebody says all this touchy feely or let's just jump into it and let's do this or that they're already conveying that they're not interested in getting to know who you are. And if you don't get to know who each other are in in your stories, how can you sit down and talk about something as complex as race, uh, as painful as racial experiences, or as liberating as trying to figure out how we could better um, work together to end racism, particularly as a policy.
1: Wow. That's actually, to me, that's very profound because it's also a way of responding when somebody says, and a lot of times, not all the time, but I find that oftentimes the people who will say, well, I don't have time for this. Let's just deal with this racist, blah, blah, blah. They tend to be more. Now, I could be, you know, again, I'm not overgeneralizing, but they tend to be more white people who might think that they know it all and they know how to deal with it. So I think that when use when you have the mindset that well then you're not the champion you're really still ignoring me if you don't want to hear my experience
0: I, I it will impact the quality of the dialogue and the level of depth in that relationship people of color don't always want to be in a position where they have to bleed to educate white people on racism white people always want to hear the story um but then when they hear the stories and they hear the pain they get oftentimes uncomfortable with it and that's what i've experienced a lot in different groups so sometimes to be able to have this kind of conversation in a meaningful way you have to be prepared you have to be open you have to be authentic you have to be committed from the beginning to the end and i have found that if people don't want to do that i don't necessarily need to have those kind of conversations with you there's plenty of people i would love to have conversations with who are as committed to addressing racism as i am and are willing to do like we did in the book go deep uh, share make decisions build relationships that are going to last a lifetime
1: any examples? I mean, I, I'm just, I know I'm putting you both on the spot. Uh, do you have any examples of maybe a situation with somebody who is from a different culture, different background and as a result of having a conversation they moved the needle a little bit or you moved yours? Hmm.
2: Well, I, one thing that comes to mind is using an exercise where we have people pair up with someone else and talk about the story of their name. And it can be their first name, their middle name, last name, or nickname. But just what is the story behind what your name is about? And It's a simple request on the part of the facilitator to just get people talking and to talk about themselves, which the reality is a lot of people just aren't accustomed to doing that, especially in a a workshop or some sort of training situation. So by first modeling what a name story might look like and then having people share it with just one other person, it kind of gets their toe in the water of, being able to reveal something about themselves in a way that hopefully feels safe because how you were named there's no question about whether it's right or wrong or maybe you know somebody who has that same name but it was for a different reason you your story is your story and once you kind of kind of lay the groundwork for people to understand that everybody has their own story about a variety of aspects of who they are as a person or their family or any of those other situations that go directly back to them as an individual it kind of prepares the water to go deeper as you go along once you've established something as simple as describing where your name came from
0: I think again I'd go back to looking at the issue of racism one might assume that it's people of color and white But it isn't always that way. Sometimes it also involves black and brown and other dimensions. But I think one of the learnings that occurred in writing of this book was that I had a chance to get to know Marvin and Sonny differently. And they were both really uniquely two different uh, human beings and different as African-American men and uh so i grew up not trusting police so marvin being a police officer we had to have some conversation i i just said i was really lucky that i never got arrested by him when i was in richmond and Mm we'd laugh and talk about it but what i also enjoyed is that um marvin um, was committed to the african-american struggle and he was um, very clear about what that that challenge was and and how to deal with it, and uh, he was very proud as African American man, and I was very proud as a Chicano. And sometimes we'd laugh when when we had uh, sporting events where we saw two boxers, a, a, a Mexican boxer and a black boxer, and we're rooting for our own to win, and we're teasing each other, you know, and and it was funny because um, we also were able to talk about how we viewed each other's cultures and and got to learn more about each other i mean he certainly grew up with stuff about mexicans i grew up with stuff about african americans and our ability to get to a point where we trusted and loved each other and and loved each other's commitment to their community was uh, I think pretty profound because I know there were times when um, Marvin challenged other African Americans on statements they made about Chicanos or Mexican Americans and on his job where he took the lead in making sure that diversity programs and services were being offered to uh, Latinos even when he was getting pushback from African-Americans about why are you putting resources in that direction. And, and you know, I did the same uh, for African-Americans. And, and I think we could be allies for our own communities. And we had to learn to get past our own racism that we grew up with, that we were socialized with as well. And, and I had that experience with Sonny that was different. Probably the first few years, Sonny and I didn't really talk or like each other. Really? I had no idea. Well, I think we had different experiences, you know, but but over time, particularly writing the book, and as he got closer to the end of his life, when we talked about it, he he said he was very honest. He'd say, I didn't like you at first because you thought you were all that. I went, what? Really? (laughs) And, And, you know, we would just kind of go back and forth, but... Bruce said, I really got to see Sonny in a different way and learn to love Sonny in a different way um, and he showed up uniquely as a black man and he would say what it was on his mind and he would say things about people that look like me and others and we'd have to get into those kind of conversations to deal with our own perspectives and our own uh, assumptions But those were the kind of conversations that led to not only a good book, but us telling these stories and building relationships where um, we we learned to love each other very deeply.
1: Well, what I'm hearing is the story of how everybody got together. You got to know each other. I mean, and when I say you, I am actually mean me because I'm also in it too, but I'm hosting the program so I can't just make it about me no matter how much I want to make it about me, but I just can't. But uh, how once people got to know each other, you were actually able to deal with issues. You're able to deal with issues of race. You're able to deal with issues of bias. You're able to deal with issues of assumptions. And I think that so often people are afraid to have those conversations because they are afraid of being jumped on and what i know our experience was that we were actually able to share experiences like if i said something and maybe somebody said oh well that's really a biased statement that i was able to listen because i trusted
2: you very well said yeah absolutely I think the bond and the level of trust that we built amongst the nine of us was really fantastic and it was built over a few years where we really had some deep hard conversations and some of it was lighthearted as well I mean there were qu- quite a few people who were jokesters amongst us and so we kept everything really enjoyable and positive and yet when we needed to go deep or clarify something that might be misunderstood or taken the wrong way by someone that we were able to come together and really talk it through
1: sometimes I will see and I see this a lot with young people um, who like to say, and, and this is a generalization, but but it's common. Well, we don't need to talk about race. Yeah, we'll just like qu- kind of talk about race, but they don't really talk about it. They don't really talk about each other's experiences, and then something happens. And then people get hurt. People can get physically hurt, and nobody comes to their aid. Or... Wait, wait a minute! What do you mean you have to go and get all black? You were so black before, and now all of a sudden you're talking about racism. What's this about? You know, and I've seen that happen. So, what's your reaction when you hear about those kinds of instances? What do you think people need to do?
0: I think we live in a time where we don't have the luxury of not talking about race. I think we're seeing racism creep into policies. I think we're seeing racism affect financial commitment of health and human services. I think we're seeing racism play out amongst um, police. And this is leading to, to, to big, big division and low levels of trust. When close to 50% of the people in this country believe the president is racist, you can't avoid talking about racism. And you may have to talk about all of these different things. I may not like that statement that you, you know, someone says, well, why are you getting all brown on me? We, we weren't about that. I'm about all of this. Yeah, It's not the only thing I am, but I am about all of this. Mm. And if you don't want to talk about some of those things, um, that's your choice. But I do. And I will encourage and influence this conversation in as many places as I can, particularly when it has direct impact on our communities. Now, we've had some pretty deep conversations through the
1: years. And I like to think about what is the most i mean there's a lot of I could say what 's the most pressing issue around race i mean there's a lot of pressing issues, but right now i'm th- i 'm going to ask you what you think we can do about this white people or primarily white people calling police on people of color primarily black people but not always black people for I don't know walking down the street with their hands in their pockets or I don't know maybe combing their hair. I mean what do you think some of the what what are some of the what do we do about that?
2: Well, one of the things that we can do about that is own up to the fact that uh white supremacy and white privilege are institutionalized throughout All of our systems and it seems to be growing even though we seem to have been making progress I think we're taking a step backwards and people are forgetting that all people are created equal under the law and this situation where people are getting singled out because they're a person of color doing everyday things shouldn't be the case and we need to make sure that everybody is aware that it's inappropriate to do these things and start ensuring that there are enough complaints about what's going on and push back on people doing these things so that it doesn't become a situation where people get very casual about it and don't respond And then it just keeps escalating and escalating. I feel like we're kind of in that state now where people calling the police on somebody barbecuing on Lake Merritt, and then this uh, young girl who is selling bottles of water outside of her apartment gets the police called on her, talking about a permit or a need for a permit or what have you, that this kind of thing isn't appropriate if you're only doing it for certain people who happen to be people of color, there's something wrong about doing that, and we need to raise awareness about how inappropriate it is, and how we're singling out and um, identifying people of color as perpetrators of things that other people do without any consequences. Let me let me jump in on.
0: Yeah,
1: that. Please, so, please,
0: because. Um, Probably four years ago, maybe five, Andy Lopez, who was a 14-year-old Latino in Santa Rosa, California, um, was shot and killed and shot a number of times. And somebody called into the sheriffs and said that there was a man walking along the freeway with a gun and he was a 13-year-old boy He had an iPod with the earplugs in. The cops pulled up. They called to him to try to warn him. He didn't hear them. He turned around, and the story goes he had his gun, and he was shot a number of times. And I'm convinced that when people call in and say, this person has a gun and this and that, it influences what the police officer is going to see when Mm -hmm. they get there. And they may be concerned for their life, but they're gonna approach that situation differently. When you look at the number of African American young men who've been killed recently, and the story is all the same. I was fearful for my life. Well, people are making these calls, and some of these calls are leading to a death sentence. Yes. And you really need to ask yourself when you make that call, is there something you're seeing um, that isn't based on bias or fear? Because that call could lead to somebody being shot. It does not happen towards white people when calls come in or even when they have guns in the park but it's happening people of color and I'm very upset with people thinking they can call the cops on people for just living their life
1: and it seems to me that there's a response that and, and I'm not saying this to everybody, everybody out there but particularly if you're a white person uh, that and you If you're a white person and you see what's happening and you see that this is becoming a pattern, then I want you to take responsibility to talk to people. Talk to other people who are white about their fears. Talk to them about what their issues are. And if you see somebody calling the police or giving somebody a hard time for for being a person of color, living their life, then I would hope or I would demand, or I would want you to speak up and tell them to stop.
0: I agree wholeheartedly. And Me that, too. The barbecue incident, mm-hmm. like, oh, the woman that the took wife, the, the, the well, and there were, there was a white woman that jumped in on that too. That was his
1: wife, that oh, was his yeah. wife. I didn't he know was, that. She was white, yeah.
0: And and calling out the other woman. I. But there are other examples yeah. of, of where white people have stepped in and, hey, they hung around there until the cops came to make sure that the right story was being conveyed. I think you're right. I think white people need to call out other white people when racism is happening. And I think you need to make sure you're helping to educate people in these areas. Well, thank you so much. any
1: Any last words you'd like to say?
2: Well, thank you for having us. It's really a delight to talk about the stories that we wrote and sort of where we've gone from there, even though we're missing a couple of our co-authors now who have passed on. It's hopeful for me that people will hear this podcast and also perhaps read the stories and be encouraged to do something similar in how they interact with people. So,
1: okay, now what's the name of the book? And where do you get it on Amazon?
2: The Diversity Calling Building Community, One Story at a Time. It's an anthology by The Dice Group. And it's available on Amazon. Thank you. And Juan, go ahead.
0: Well, I I, I want to just follow up and say if you want to have an impact on how racism is playing out in our country, Make sure you're uh, encouraging people to sign up and vote in November because Mm -hmm. our votes are going to make a difference on whether or not racism is going to continue along the trajectory it is now or we're going to reclaim that. Uh, and said, tell the story that we want to build in in terms of building our community. Thank
1: you so much. This is Sima Lieberman, the inclusionist at Everyday Conversations on Race for Everyday People, signing off. If you you want to help us continue this podcast, and you agree with what we have to say, or you want to hear more, please go to raceconvo.com and download the podcast, subscribe, share it with your friends, and if you'd like to help us continue on and on and on, then you can press the PayPal button and donate to keep our p- podcast going. Sima Lieberman, The Inclusionist, thank you again, Sidreel and Juan Lopez.
4: All your space chicken sci-fi comedy non-political humor needs go to Tesseract.com. Read fiction about the future of San Francisco after the water wars of 2121 in Jane 6. Ask a Jedi for important life hacks. Just to let everybody know, it's 10 o'clock. It is time for Sima Lieberman, Everyday Conversations on Race with Everyday People. Thank you guys for tuning in. She is going to be here momentarily. We, The, the bridge is an issue, I believe, for everyone. So all those Uber drivers coming in to make the money here in the city. Tomorrow is a day that you get to vote. Please go out and do that wherever you are. In the country. Hey, if you're in another country, vote there too. Vote early, vote often, and uh, tell people how you want your government to be represented—representational government here. But today, everyday conversations on race with everyday people every Monday from 10 to noon here on Mutiny Radio FM. Keep enjoying. Those commercials on The Breaker for other awesome Mutiny Radio shows. And thanks for tuning in to MutinyRadio.fm. Everyday conversations on race with everyday people. With Simo Lieberman. You guys are going to love it. Thanks for sticking around.
3: Right.
5: And all the shows are alphabetically. So you
3: can just scroll down and you'll find You can also get the Common Thread
2: Collective and Women's Magazine for free on iTunes. Unfortunately, the only weird part is because there's so many comedy shows at this station, we're actually under the free comedy section.
4: What is flat black plastic? What you think it is. Flat, black, plastic, vinyl, records, round, played, mixed, all for you every Saturday, from noon to two by Scott. O. Amazing artist. Music DJ vinyl enthusiast that is flat black plastic out at Mutiny Radio. Chester Cashcock here, giving you love and regards as well as movies over there. And you know, any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to BAMtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10. They have a fun time at BAMtastic's Deep in the Mission, where you can laugh off your tushy every Friday for a mere $10. And $10, I mean, that's what I used to wipe my tushy wet, so to wipe it off for (laughs) is in duty this and if you can't make it to mutiny radio don't worry don't fret at all you can simply download the podcast post show in the comfort of anywhere like your aston summer cottage in the mountain red for the guy just go to podcast.pcrcollective.org How exciting for you, Mutiny Radio listener. There are six new shows here at MutinyRadio.fm. Monday nights at 10 o'clock, it's time for free phone sex. 415-550-0511. Yes. Call in for free phone sex. You will be recorded. It is a podcast, but will that phone sex be free? Absolutely. 10 a.m. Mondays, it's time for everyday conversations on race with everyday people with Sima Lieberman everyday people talking about race every week different everyday people talking about race on Tuesdays 10 o'clock it's spiritual psychology with Renee McKenna meditate he'll heal you. then at noon stick around Sergio Novoa brings you my limited view Talking about all things from his perspective. Then, on Thursdays from 8 to 10, it's time for Beyond Your Comprehension with Clem. Exciting new shows here at Mutiny Radio. Also, the IC Podcast. That's the Imprint City Podcast coming soon mutinyradio.fm new shows you can have one too contact director at mutinyradio.fm to find out more details check us out at mutinyradio.fm
7: Precious.
1: with everyday conversations on race for everyday people where we bring people together from different backgrounds to have conversations about race and bring race to the people. If you want to find out more about us please go to www.raceconvo convo like conversation, raceconvo.com today I am excited I always love having great guests and today my great guest is an old friend of mine named Precious Stroud. Precious is the founder of the Black Woman Project and PJS Consulting. I'm going to let Precious tell you a little bit about herself. So, Precious. Let's intro you
7: to everybody. Hi Sima, thanks for having me this morning. Uh, Precious Stroud, um, founder of the Black Female Project, that's blackfemaleproject.org and PJS Consultants. On PJS Consultants we focus on narrative change and storytelling in the marketing communications world, mostly for organizations that are focused on community wellness and good and the biggest platform that we do that work with is black female project so
1: I look forward to the conversation today hey precious would you just describe yourself to everybody since they can't see you and for those of you who can't see me but if you don't know me I'm Sima Lieberman my brand is the inclusionist I am a white Jewish woman and I am a baby boomer and I'm from the Bronx and I live in Berkeley but I'm still from the Bronx a Gen X black woman, um, born and raised in Berkeley, California. Wow! So precious. Mm -hmm. Um, Why do you think it's important for us to talk about race and why? I think it's important to talk about race
7: because everything is racialized. So if I lived in a place where people didn't consider race in their everyday experience and um, much like classism, access to resource, access to opportunities wasn't influenced by race then I wouldn't need to talk about it. But from my perspective um, race
1: impacts my life so I need to talk about it. So tell me why race impacts your life. Tell me how race impacts your life Well, now and before. Okay so
7: now and before well, the context, the historical context of kind of the country and society we live in has the implications. So if you take a group of people and you tell them, hey, you are going, well, you're going to work for free based on your race. And be, in addition to that, like let me be real about like torture. Um, you know, all of the things that Africans experienced once they came here, um, those who work came to work for free and to be enslaved, the impact of that still is the, resi- not residual, even the real impact of that, it affects how the society was set up and what rules were in place and who was able to have what access to either land or, uh, or even basic services. If someone believes that another person is inferior based on the color of their skin, then that means that um, you don't see me as successful. So if you don't see me as successful, it's really hard for you to promote me. And you might say, one might say, well, you know what? That wasn't me. I didn't do it. Well, unfortunately, somebody told you something and stuff was passed along. And we see all these images that reinforce certain hierarchies. And it continues to be that along... um, Uh, the difference in class for black people isn't the differentiator in terms of lifespan expectancy whereas with some races depending on your social economic class you live longer that isn't necessarily the case for black people and if when it is it still isn't that what you would expect of a what we call first world country because of the stress of dealing with racism and other isms along the way
1: yes uh, racism definitely is a health crisis in the United States. Um, I want to ask a question. When was the first I know you were raised in Berkeley. Mhm. When was the first time that you either interacted with somebody different than you or when you first became aware of race? Well, I mean, that is the gift of where we live. That is so diverse
7: that I can remember as early as first and second grade. Like my friends were Rumi Sandu and Sabina Peterson, Korean American and Indian American, and we were friends. That was just that was those were just happy to be my friends in class. It didn't mean I didn't have other friends because of course we were in a very uh, mixed race school, and that was by design. I think Berkeley did some things. With the way that they um, broke out their districts so or broke up the district in a way that made made an effort to ensure that public schools were diverse as they could be.
1: Well, what was your first? Exp- you remember what your first experience was with racism? Mm-hmm. So the thing about oh, this is interesting because I
7: hear you were people aware talk- of. Yeah, no, I totally of, yeah. hear you because. Um, okay so answering the question directly it's very very early because of course we get taught how to as much as possible deal with it so it's not even something that I I remember oh that woman didn't speak to me one day no 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 you know people didn't want to sit next to my little sister at marine world and um, a, a park where you know you see marine life and my mom was like you guys have to understand her experience is different because of her skin tone because my mother and my father are brown like a medium tone color um, I came out much lighter my baby sister came out much darker than them and so um, my mother wanted to make sure I understood that she was going to have a different experience based on the color of her skin and we had to be aware of that and look out for her throughout our life. so it was very early I remember going on road trips with my parents and you know that deep exhale that happens for a child when you see someone maybe Hispanic or Latino oh okay we'll be okay at this restaurant um, oh, okay well We don't want to stop in this state right like we'll drive through this one and being very cognizant of that like people talk about road trips i am not okay with that um i know you know everybody do what you want and do what you love and live your life but i'm not going cross country
1: uh no well what do you think right now about what's going on in the country overall, around race, and the messages that we're getting? Well, you can't, um, you can't hide something
7: forever so it's gonna show up and it's showing up in a big way Um, I think the what I've heard is people saying well um, it's the blowback from Obama well it was there already Um, all of us who are living in these experiences and conscious of it understand that that it's a it's a really ugly truth that nobody wants to talk about the other thing is this notion of um, sweep it under the rug as if uh, the institution of Jim Crow and slavery didn't exist, and that was so long ago. It wasn't that long ago. My great grandmother, my great great grandmother, was first generation born free. My mother knew her, my sisters, you know, were babies when she was alive. That's not that far removed, which means the coping skills that she learned were passed on to my great-grandmother, who was alive until I was in high school. Oh, wow. So, knew her. Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, yes. My junior year of high school she passed away, and she was living with us at the time. So those coping skills that they learned, they passed along. So I have to now be responsible for unlearning some of that stuff that was for survival because now i'm supposed to have a different opportunity what were some of those things um well you know i have a deep sense of work ethic and 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 that's good but i also feel like if i don't work i'm gonna die yeah like like i work to the point where my head will keep going but my body really shouldn't and so i'm trying to break that cycle and where it doesn't feel like so intense around this is linked to me being safe rather than just having the lifestyle that I want to enjoy and I've earned based on my credentials and the other things that I've worked so hard for
1: does that answer your question? So when you say being safe, do you mean Say more about that in terms of race. Yeah, so the work of um,
7: Joy DeGru around post-traumatic slave syndrome talks a lot about those, um, I won't be as eloquent as she is, but basically they're learned behaviors that we pass down for survival's sake. So if it wasn't okay to say something, right, you can't talk back, God forbid that, because there could be the punishment of death. Um, people were raped. Um, it was just part of the culture like that was the norm even though I'm not saying it was accepted because of course there was much more revolt than Nat Turner if not we wouldn't be here today so there's always been resistance, but I do know that there are people who had to survive through those times and there were coping skills like, I'm um, not talking back, making white people feel comfortable. The one thing I learned, I was reading uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates, oh, uh, I can't remember the name of the book right now, but the one he wrote, kind of like a, a letter to his son. Yeah. I was reading the book, I was on vacation, and I had no idea, what came up for me was, I really know how to take care of white women. Like, I can do that really well in a way that makes me safe.
1: In in a way of making them comfortable. Yes.
7: In a way of making them comfortable with you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's something I'm, I'm also letting go of because I have to find myself in all of that. Like there's all the stuff on top of who I am that was put on for survival or even just to navigate successfully in certain environments. We hear the term code switching a lot and we I was with an executive and he didn't even know what the term meant and he worked
1: in um, high school education reform. He was a white guy? It was, yes. Well, I can see why he wouldn't underst- know that term because <laughs> I run into a lot of people that, that don't know that term because first of all, you have to be interested. Mm. Uh... You have to be interested and you want to know what other people go through. And if you're not interested, you're not going to know. A lot of times people say, well, you know, I I hear a lot of my friends say, well, white people should know. By now they should know. And I said, you know, there's a should and an is. Hmm. And you can't make an assumption that people are interested. You can't make an assumption that if there's an article about black people that people are going to read it. Because a lot of white people, and not only white people, you know, so I'm not disparaging any particular (laughs) group they're saying this is like a little more common and that other people if if it's if it's not related to my group I'm not gonna be bothered with it and then when they do something like oh my god I didn't know well you didn't care either Mm -hmm. you know wasn't wasn't it wasn't in your reality and um, mean the reality is if we're in this country and we care we need to make things in our reality so you started your business and you started black girl black woman project black female project a young girl what is black girls code that's some that's mm-hmm. another program Kimberly Brighton mm-hmm. yeah Good. <laughs> so could you talk a little bit about that program and some of the messages that you're trying to impart around not feeling like you have to take care of people who are different than you, but so that you can actually be yourself. Sure.
7: So, w- I found myself kind of whispering in ha- at happy hours in the corner about what was going on at work. And we'd get together, me and, so- and I'd do it with various groups of girlfriends. Hey, you know, what herbs are you taking to manage your stress, you know? And everything revolved around stress at work. And then I started hearing um, things like, well, I can't say that, you know, like feeling censored, like I couldn't talk about what was true. So for me, Black Female Project, number one is about truth telling and affirmation. I need to be able to tell the truth about my experience and really about what I've observed in the workplace. Because when I can tell the truth, then I can heal from it. And then I can have a sense of uh, liberation from those thoughts and behaviors that had been holding me back from even saying or telling the truth in the first place. So an example would be. I can't tell my boss how I really feel and what just happened in that meeting because I might lose my job they'll write me off as the angry black woman um, they don't like me when I talk anyway they don't respect female leadership so I'm navigating all the time and this was the pressure that I kept feeling and thinking wait if my parents right in Berkeley California educators I'm um, creative uh, kept us around lots of you know it was, I wouldn't say super Afro- afrocentric but certainly African conscious in terms of black is great like black is beautiful it was the 70s everybody was feeling really good about making a shift and then to get into a a certain level in my professional realm and not be able to well I'd been trained along the way of course right what my place was so when I started feeling like my body started to reject what was going on because I was trying to be honest and um, navigate with integrity and all these strategies were used against me and
1: there are certain strategies people have experiences I don't want to be too vague so well, yeah yeah, yeah. What, what I was gonna ask if you could be if you could without mentioning you probably don't want to mention who the organization oh, was no, I won't. but if you could just tell because i know if there's a lot of people listening that probably can relate well here's a, a lot of people listening who want to know so any th- tell us give us a couple of examples sure um
7: you're not meeting expectations um you're you you're not meeting expectations you oversold yourself in the interview <laughs> you really aren't doing this right well what exactly are you looking for well um you should know that already well there there are certain terms i guess they're kind of like um codes too that this they, what happens is so I start in this situation I was told hey you know like what, what are you what are you bringing to the table well you interviewed me you hired me we're about six weeks in what exactly are you talking about like what do you need to see right now well you're not really you know what are you bringing to the table what have you accomplished so I start sharing you know things and the plans moving forward but what happened was there were never any expectations Expectations established that are connected to an organizational strategy. So as I begin to start throwing darts at your moving target, that every time you tell me, now I'm feeling unsettled. So now I'm feeling and questioning my own ability to be successful because you're questioning my ability to be successful. And then add on the layer of, in meetings no one has the same cultural expression that I do because of course I because was you're brought the only in black woman brought in to diversify the organization didn't know that at the time mm. would have preferred for me to be a nice token and not try to do any work really just kind of do what we say and be quiet over there because our board and community said we had to diversify since we serve kids of color across the state you know maybe somebody should who looks like that should be on the executive well in the director level so um what happened is the isolation i felt because i was working so hard to try and please then i started self-isolating from family and friends because it, the work was so intense and that's a pattern that we've noticed in black female project is number one people being told they can't they're not meeting expectations being organized out either by there's no more funding or hey we had a really creative one woman she said I was pushed out they moved me into a fellowship like because I was too vocal Um, very creative ways of not having to deal with something that's different than what you're used to and the fact that this it may sound rudimentary but it is I don't see you as successful therefore in my mind even though you are doing things that would lead anyone else doing what you're doing would be considered a peer for some reason you just just doesn't it's not right there's something about you that's just not meeting our our expectations. And no, 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 you know, you're not going to be paid the same as everyone else. You're not so going to be paid access. the same as everybody
1: no else.
7: No way. No way. No way. I was when I was negotiating my transition, um, and I said, "I think what you need to do is eliminate my position until you can figure out what you want to do with this area of work." Um, the whole demeanor changed, and I was asked, "Well, how are you going to take care of yourself?" What? How are you going to take care of yourself? They want to know how you were going to take care of yourself. Because of course, if if he's not going to take care of me, how am I going to make it?
1: Oh, got it. I was going to say, you could say, well, uh, with that half a million dollar settlement that you're going to give
7: me. <laughs> By the way, you know. regarding that, so I talked to a couple of lawyers about the situation, and this is what the the classic one I love so much, that I would encourage people to... Um, You know, if you have an opportunity or something's not right, say something about it or document it in some way. There was no HR department. It was a nonprofit organization. There was no way to, that I thought, to report, although there are places in the state. They said, look, there's no documentation that you ever complained. You never wrote a letter to the board. You never said anything was wrong. This is really, really, really unfortunate. It's Hmm. an awful situation, and it happens every day
1: yeah it happens every day that so you never complained well you know one of the issues that I I found like in my work with different organizations uh, especially dealing and and with people of of color that a lot of times I'm saying a lot I mean this has happened enough times with clients that I've seen this that you'll have somebody maybe there will be maybe one or two African Americans in the organization and people are a little bit intimidated, uncomfortable, awkward about what to say, so they kind of don't say anything. And then it's time for maybe initial uh, initial review and they don't really really review you because they're really uncomfortable and they don't really want to tell you that something needs improvement because then they're afraid of being called racist or whatever or they just don't know how to say it so they smile on your face and then at the end of the year you get a notice and the notice says that you're fired and and this has happened with enough of my clients of color particularly black clients actually women but men too Mm. that at the end they said well nobody said anything to me my reviews always said I was doing fine nothing specific but they always said that I was doing fine and then all of a sudden I'm fired and they said if I would have known that something needed improvement from the very beginning I could have worked on it But what happens and when when I've talked to some of these people who not always but oftentimes are white so how come you didn't give them any type of criticism or constructive criticism well I would have but I didn't want to be accused of being racist oh so you just waited and then you just fired them okay so then it becomes well let's really mainly hire people who look like us because I don't want to be uncomfortable and it's so much easier to tell somebody who looks like me that they're making a mistake because they won't accuse me of anything
7: does that sound so um, so I before so black female project is celebrates black women who thrive at work celebrating black women who thrive at work and preparing young black women for the realities of the workplace so how do black women navigate r- structural racism and sexism and continue to move through leadership roles and have thriving careers? What we asked people to do, initially I was working to share my story and I said, well we, we have to more than mine if it's going to be useful. And so I asked some friends of mine and everybody was, first. the first thing people say is, I don't really have a story to tell. And about six weeks later they're like I think there's something I could share and then at the three-month mark they're ready to write and the the we did a year of writing and workshopping and the th- that we ask people to they have to relive all these experiences that they've tried to bury or get behind them that is very difficult It was the hardest thing I had done since my father passed away to uncover all of those stories and get it into a narrative that might be actually useful or helpful to someone else. And we know when girls come in contact with the curriculum in that format, personal narrative, they won't get it all. But when something happens to them, they have a name for it now. And they'll rem- remember that story. And the goal was to ask women. So, this was happening f- like for me. This was, I was sitting at my desk and the screen went blurry. And I was like, um, so um, I can't really see. Um, it had gotten to the point where I started suffering with migraines and you know how sometimes there's form of migraines yeah ocular yeah so the nurse working there I mean there was a nurse on site a retired nurse and she said you know maybe you should go home if you can't see and I'm like no 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 I have to the thought that that I needed to do something rather than take care of myself is a sign that there was something very wrong but um, what I was getting at was black female project so um, women had to tell these stories so we then asked them what did you have stop and think about that moment how did you feel what happened to your body what kind of support system did you have in place to get through that so we know autoimmune diseases show up a lot we know hair loss shows up a lot and um, when women are able to we had one contributor who said look I don't care what you do with my story I just need to tell it and let it go so just being able to document it is freeing for the women we thought we were doing something for the girls coming behind us and it turned out to be a healing project for us as well well how many women Um, so um, we have personal narratives of about 15 well maybe 20 including the anonymous ones um, the first nine were released in 2018. So the inaugural collection is available for download on the website at www.blackfemaleproject.org. And then we have a podcast at um, on SoundCloud to collect other women's stories. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then we've done live events. We had a conversation a series in New York City, Washington, D.C., and Oakland. And then we also wow. have live events from time to time in the Bay Area wow and you started this almost five years ago I mean this is your child yes yes so women you were asking about how many women so we looked at this also as a research project so during those live events and during our conversations we've been collecting data all this time and the number one thing people enjoy is just sitting in a room where they can tell see people who look like them whether they speak or not
1: and feel affirmed Wow, I'm first of all, I'm just really amazed. And when you started it, I'm mean, gonna got to ask you did you start it all by yourself and what was the first thing that you did in order to start it and who did you talk to to, to get it going? So the first thing I did was look for something like this.
7: Because I just wanted a resource to understand what was going on with me. If my parents had prepared me well, and I was doing... This this is what we tell girls, uh, black girls in particular. Work really hard, do what you're supposed to do. Go to college, and you'll be fine. And then somebody pulls a rug up from under you, and you had no idea that there are some strategies that have been tested, and they're tried, and they work really well to make people unsettled at work. And there are certain things that work really well for black women. Like what? Like... (laughs) like telling me that I haven't met expectations. Well, you know what, I meet expectations everywhere I go. So what exactly are you talking about? Like, this is problematic for me because I work so hard. And most of us you know you gotta have a certain level of intellect to get into certain places and be able to you know we're sensing motivations and we're analyzing situations of course this is the thing that this is maybe you can help me with this Um, I I believe implicit bias exists however if I have to analyze everyone around me and it's on me for my for me to be useful in any situation to try have a basic understanding of the person sitting next to me I then am infuriated at the thought that someone else can write it off as well it was just implicit bias I didn't know and now of course I'm not you know I understand I've seen some of the science yes I'm getting there but that rubs me the wrong way because I think it's a it's helping people be comfortable talking about it when it really goes back to what you said before I didn't have to care so I just didn't do it I didn't have to care that you were gonna show up different than me. I didn't have to care that um, when I perceived you as angry, it could have been something else right so when when the um, old boss says to me well you seem really angry and I'm saying to him well how are you defining that and the the, ju- the woman from Long Island who's sitting across from both of us gets rolls back in her chair like oh this is about to be real good let me relax and watch <laughs> because of course I'm not angry I'm very impassioned about what I'm talking about you're uncomfortable because passion in your sphere looks different and women may or may not you know, the feistiness of, um, a small framed woman who you don't, who you feel like you have control over versus a different type of woman showing up and taking up space. There's something that rises up for you. I don't have to like totally understand all the reasons why, but you don't get to call me angry. And some people are like, yeah, call me angry, whatever. But for me, that's too easy. Like what else do you have? Like let's, can we, if you're going to analyze me, let's talk about why you use that word in my name in the same sentence so I'm um, being able to have that conversation isn't always a possible it isn't and your point I saw a lot in the research you asked me how do we start the project or how did I start the project so I started doing research and asking people and looking for this kind of work and a lot of it exists what I wasn't and I think there's more going on in college campuses and research departments but that's really hard to get in to find until you either go there or get a contact so I was looking for black female experiences detailed around work experience there is a seminal work our separate ways which studies the first group of women who came into corporate and it looks at black women and white women and tells their stories and they have a lot of data with that project it was very helpful as we started So, I started, I asked a few people to write stories with mine so that we could then ask a bigger group to write stories and submit. The women who were writing, two of them approached me on separate occasions and asked for a time to meet the other women who were submitting. I thought we'd meet a few times while they were writing, and that would be it for the live events, and here we are four years later, still convening women in conversations, and now partnering with other organizations like... um, NCNW, sorry, Nash, NCNW, you'll have to look that up because I cannot remember right now all of the acronym, a Black Teacher Project. We will have our fourth annual conversation with them um, for Women's History Month. We have a format where the women, black women in the center, have a conversation much like what we do when it's black women closed door only other people can come and observe anyone but we give the women an opportunity to step out there's no q a we do a small workshop with the people who are observing so they can process what they've heard but we protect those women at all costs so what we've learned over the last couple of years testing this out and modifying it when people ask us can you modify here or there what we learned is that that is still not safe for women might be a black man who speaks up and is uncomfortable because he's looking for solution and we're just trying to talk about the reality of what happened we're trying to be safe and say out loud that this happened to us at work well you should have done this and that see our format was right let's keep that circle closed you have the privilege to observe
1: so if there's any young black women listening to this podcast Mm -hmm. and we have all kinds of people who listen to this podcast Mm -hmm. would you suggest would you suggest that that they that they contact you
7: Sure, I mean, yes. And check out Black Female Project. Also, listen to the podcast. We've had people write to us about the podcast saying, this affirmed me so much, I knew I wasn't alone. But even preparing for girls start navigating school like school age girls are figuring out you know what I get treated differently the work of African American female excellence at the Oakland Unified School District more and more is going to come out of that department but they have documented and are talking about the sexual harassment um, and the kicking girls out of class and what's happening with black girls they're being treated differently than other girls in the, the school we start understanding that very early my focus is on the workplace because that's where I was living at the time and that's what I needed to address so for young girls number one you're not alone you woke up brilliant you're gonna be brilliant no no matter what level I see a lot of junior practitioners too because I love to. you know part of I'm came from educators I love to teach in my area focus so don't let people tell you or give you some weird vibe that you're not a director or you're not a this or that and therefore your value is less every single person in the orga- organization is needed for the organization to be functional if you were not there there would be a problem something would be missing understand you woke up brilliant no matter what anybody says and believe that that's something I didn't do I let myself be defined by other people the other thing is see yourself through your own eyes and what I mean by that is as we've um, I'm facilitated conversations and also um, our leadership team I'll mention a Fern Stroud, my sister, um, Che Abram, um, gifted, gifted speaker and diversity specialist in higher ed, as well as um, members of our advisory board have, as we facilitate conversations uh, over the last four years have, the one thing that comes up, A, there's never enough time. People are like all of our evaluations. Can it be longer? Can it be longer? Um, can we meet more often? The other thing, the reason why, is because um, women need to. How can I say this? You are, you are fine the way you are. See yourself through your own eyes. Women will get up at all ages. It's fascinating, and they talk about themselves through the lens of their bosses, through the lens of their um, you know, their partners or boyfriends, through the lens of all these other people, but they don't see themselves. So we have mirrors that we got, and we on the back of it says Black Female Project, and we say, if you want to see power and beauty, turn it over whenever you need to. And they turn it over, and they see themselves in the reflection, and women of all ages flip out, because you have to see yourself for yourself. And next year, we really want to tackle this question of how do I now, now that I'm aware of what's going on and I'm kind of paying attention, you can live above all the stuff to maintain the status quo, the strategies used against people. You know, a lot of women of color show up in the workplace and have similar outcomes. We come from different places, but it is similar outcomes. You know, being disregarded, being hypersexualized, black women being asked to dance at work events, um, being touched inappropriately. All of this, um, you know, backing out from under of, of after Installing some IT stuff and being told, "Yeah, that's where I like women on the, f- you know, on their knees," and no repercussion.
1: Yeah. Um, so. And also, and, and and unfortunately, the environment in our country is not is getting less and less supportive. It's it's more of a so what. You know, I want to take a break for a second, and then I, I want to come back, and I want to start talking about. I want to talk about the angry black woman and also in situations like yours responses that 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 women can give so i just want to tell people this is sima lieberman the inclusionist listening to everyday conversations on race with everyday people and if you, for everyday people if you want to know more go to www.raceconvo.com and we are recording this session at mutiny radio you can go to mutinyradio.fm to listen to my podcast and other podcasts and if you are looking for a place to record your podcast or do a recording i highly recommend coming down to mutinyradio.com mutinyradio.fm and talking to pam okay back to you precious stroud where we're talking to Precious Stroud, and we're talking about her project, the Black Woman's Project, and about being a black female entrepreneur, and some of the issues in the workplace. I want to talk about the whole idea of the angry black woman, and because you were talking about showing some passion or emotion and then being told that you are angry is this something that is common in the workplace why Sima yes it is (laughs) (laughs)
7: <laughs> um, well, there's the whole narrative that gets played out on most of the media channels. I mean, if you want to see black w- I, I, I wonder if I googled black women, what might show, you know, I should do that and see how many positive versus what we consider negative images would show up. But um, in the culture right now, or at least pop culture it's interesting though because we have like black women rock and um you know black women thrive and black women leading and all of these things that have emerged through social media and other positive avenues and black women gathering in groups all over the country we kind of got in this groove it was obviously happening it was happening we were in the tide at the time so yeah you were asking um angry black woman does it happen yes it happens why does it happen because that's easier than talking to me you can just label me um also we've all been bought into these narratives that's what i'm that's where i was going um is that next year what we want to do is start thinking about how do we And forgive the term I gotta find another one deconstruct the internalized racism and the internalized sexism if we can start doing that then we see ourselves more clearly when the images show up we aren't as influenced and I know this is work that'll be generational work and at the same time I mean we're moving in that direction as a as a culture and as a people for sure like yes okay now we're calling out when we started this work and writing down down white supremacy or writing down like power dominant power structure those terms when that we thought was we so radical in the stories and now they're on the TV all the time institutional racism is uh, affecting Hispanic women at this rate you're hearing all these statistics and all these numbers um, Shell Sandberg's work around um, they're putting out some new um, reports that are interesting you know love or hate leaning in As black women say we've been leaning in a long time and then I heard of interesting I don't know who this gentleman was was i heard him on the radio the other week talking about so we tell women lean in we're not changing the system we just tell them lean in
6: coffee. Hang on, Carl.
5: Sounds great. That was
6: a good theme song. Oh, that was some good theme song. (laughs) That theme song is courtesy of Carl. Carl, thanks for the courtesy. Ah,
5: gracias, gracias to you, my friend.
6: Carl, let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with With? Spiegelman and Carl. Welcome, listeners. Uh, You might be listening to us live as we broadcast live every Sunday. 5 o'clock Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time uh, on Muniradio.fm. You can find our podcast drops every Sunday afternoon, unless there's something horrible. It ar- drops? Yeah. It drops <laughs> on the street. Uh, We're so cool. I used the verb right. You did. Yeah, I'm like, uh, get shorty. Uh, I'm like on the musical, <laughs> the Be Cool, the sequel. So you can uh, go to iTunes, you can go to mutinyradio.fm, and look for us. We are listed by our acronym L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. Let's Watch a Full-Length Movie on YouTube. If you use those initials, you can find us on Twitter and our own YouTube channel. But go to our blog spot. Okay, you got a pencil? let Watch a Full-Length Movie on YouTube.blogspot.com. And that's our... We rap, rap about movies, we talk about the films we see, and you could, the idea of this podcast is that we're going to watch a movie on YouTube with you, uh, and we want you to watch it and listen to this podcast at the same time. Yeah. Right, yeah. And these are movies that on. I've read about, or I knew about, and I never had the opportunity to see them, but now they're on YouTube, so we can all see them, we don't have to read about them.
5: I'm with the concept,
6: Carl. What's the movie today? This movie is
5: so great. This movie is Joysticks, and it's 1983. Uh-huh. It is in your search engine. You'll in YouTube. You'll put in no space J O Y S T I C K 1983.
6: Do you spell Joysticks with a space, Carl? Is it an open compound word for you?
5: I would spell Joystick six with a space yes but 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 this movie did not
6: they they didn't have time for a space <laughs> all right
5: There was a working title to this film, something really dumb. I'll find it in my notes. All right. So, uh, which channel... Here it is. uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, no, please, Video Madness. That was the working title. When they were shooting it, they were like, we're doing Video Madness. All right, Video Madness. Come on. Video Madness, take two.
6: (laughs) But then it sounded like some bad SCTV uh, sketch from like quarter to two in the morning, and they're like, yeah. (laughs) Well, how how will people know this is about Guy's penis? So, uh, <laughs> this movie is hosted on which channel?
5: Okay, so there's two choices. When you search for um, joystick no space, 1983, you will come up first with um, something, it's, it, the uploader is Gliss Switzen uh-huh. G-L-I-S-S, I can't make this, uh, S-W-I-T-S-O-N, Gliss Switson.
6: Glisson and Klitsen.
5: But there's a better version, not so much better. So if you want to stick with this one, it's fine. It's, it's like four or five down, and it's B-H-O-O-P-U. That's the uploader, B-H-O-O-P-U.
6: Right. Let me find that. D-H-O-O-P-U? D-H. D-H-O-O-P-U. Wait a minute.
5: Wait, it's um, uh, it's boy hout octopus, octopus, penis umbrella. Like nobody's <laughs> ever seen a penis umbrella before.
6: Oh, I I use a penis umbrella. It's like a drink. You take a little cocktail drink <laughs> umbrella, and you just stick it right in your own, your pee pee hole. It's not painful at all. You know, I don't see no, this either. version. I see a version for, that's been viewed two million times, and it's da Vinci.
5: You see, see a different version. What is it called?
6: Uh, Dono Vinci.
5: Okay. Um, I don't have experience with that one.
6: Okay. No. So let's let's do your version. Go ahead and spell the channel. And we're going to type it in.
5: Okay. I think the better one is B H O O P U. Boy, couch, yeah. octopus, octopus, pussy undressing.
6: All right. <laughs> I'm going to go search for that.
5: H O O P U. Right hand. I got it. It's clearly Hindu. Hindi.
6: All right. Poo poo, I see one subscriber, one video.
5: Um, it says 4,001 views, correct?
6: Well, I'm looking. <laughs> Alright, hang on, let me try this one. Okay. That's the welcome video. Am I close?
5: Uh, I, I don't. Yeah, joystick. No, okay. I
6: see joystick. Joystick, right, comedy, joystick full movie. comedy full movie. Okay. All right. So there we go. So I. I okay. I know not it's plural funny. audience. Sorry. I got gotcha. you. Right, so this version we're to seeing. It's not plural. It's not the version that's been viewed two million times. But it is a version. Right. So go click on that and click pause. Right when you see the star, uh, the, the sunny clouds. Meaning another quality movies coming your way? Yeah, Yeah. Quality movie with clowns, blue clowns. Okay. So we got joystick comedy, full movie, 2017. This is courtesy of the channel BooPoo, uh, Boo B-H-O-O-P-U. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> what Boy Helped, Octopus, Octopus, Pussy Underground. Uh, pussy Underground. Better. That's better. Pussy Underwear. That's better. I'm killing it. Uh, all right, so we're gonna go play. Do you do you need to do the computer now, Paul? Tweet that out. I don't need to do it. All right, so why don't we have Paul do the countdown for us? Oh,
5: Paul's here. Great.
6: Hey, Carl. Oh. What's happening,
5: buddy? And <laughs> what's happening, my man? All right, here we go, folks. Get your finger out, a- hovering. And we're want to do a countdown from three, two, one, play. That's perfect. He's great, isn't he? He has a radio voice as the thing.
6: Yeah, he has a voice hey, for the radio. Blah, blah,
5: blah. <laughs> <laughs> How much is he Is he expensive?
6: But, uh, uh, so we're watching Donovici. See, Donovici was the I other channel. They just took the other, the uh, posting from the other channel.
5: The other channel goes straight into the video game. It doesn't do all this uh
6: Oh, this is very important. The experience. Look, a roll of film could look like an F and a J. Or a tie. Jensen Farley Pictures. Jensen Farley. Jensen! You get in by open! Boss called me by my first name. That's Farley? Too far this has gone too farly.
5: All right, full position. I recognize this and game. I really have to tell you especially the audience, all these games are real. It's not yeah. some movie bullshit. That's yeah. one of the great things about this film. You're going to see Pac-Man and that's Super Moon Pac-Man. And
6: We're watching Moon Patrol right now. It's a real video so Don game. Baker. Oh, uh, that's Galaxian. That is uh the one with the crazy joystick. Uh, so now, look at her
5: hair, okay. Mike. Yes. She is, I mean, nineteen late 1970s was yesterday to this year, right? Right, 1983. So I'll, I'll accept that. She is a leftover, even though she's a young Fender. one. That hair, that attitude, uh, uh, um, workout clothes are on, right? Right. She's the wrong '70s for this movie. This is '83.
6: Well, she's a California girl, centipede. Bingo. You know, so that's... was
5: shot all in L.A. By the way.
6: Yeah. So you know, Carl, I read a lot about this movie too. I, I saw the poster in 1983 at the our movie house in Monclair, New Jersey. The Wilmont huh. showing it, and it has a very famous. movie movie poster where it's these two women who are, look like this woman right now and they're, yes. they're grabbing the joysticks of a video arcade machine and unbeknownst to them in the change booth there's a little guy sticking his head out <laughs> looking at their muffs. Door fun. Door fun. and uh, You know what? This movie should be gay. Right? Joysticks? <laughs> yeah. And then instead of these two women in shorts they'll just be these guys with big cocks and the guy's like mm-hmm. glory hole like length anyway in that poster. <laughs>
5: It's backwards glory holes.
6: <laughs> yeah, you're not supposed to see the now look, that is
5: the flat, That is the fat flaw character of this. He's like a video game expert who maintains the keys to the arcade. And his name is Jonathan Andrew huh. in the movie. And they call him Dorfus, like Doofus.
6: Oh, I see. But you have to really know that. Graydon Clark, this guy is incredible. He made
5: three movie movies expert. this
6: year. Yeah, he directed this movie, but he directed Joe Don Baker in a parody of Psycho called Wacko, and then he did a serious crime film with John O'Don, and they did it in like two years. This is like the third movie
5: he's done with them. Beautiful This is what this,
6: California
3: This
5: movie looks like. was shot in like 13 days or 3 weeks Depending on which Internet version you believe This is like a nerd character uh, His name is uh, Eugene Groby He's played by a guy Named Leaf Green Which I always thought Was funny Because like It sounds yes. like Green leaves You know
6: He needs to smoke A couple green leaves To uh, sit through this movie Leafy Green.
5: I gotta tell you something He does a good job As a nerd Mike But You can tell He's not really a nerd Yeah He's he, pretending. He's like a
6: jock, yes, uh, acting jock actor. That's the problem with mm-hmm. jock actors is that you can tell when they play nerds. There's a little bit of jock in them. <laughs>
3: yes.
6: Uh-oh. Okay, so uh oh. Okay. what's happening they're here? They're showing the boobies. <laughs> <And> these are seventies. <laughs> t- yeah. uh, my nerd braid is exploding. They just pulled them down. Those are
5: like twenty-two year olds. Come on over. I'll say. Mike, I want to say something about the day. You saw how petite those boobs were, right? uh You know if that was shot in 2017, 2018, it would have been the nicest racket cans that you could buy.
6: It would be very taunt and tan, I'm sure.
5: (laughs) Nothing but perfection. Okay, so this scene right here was shot without a permit, without any permission, okay? They're just on the street doing this in L.A. And roll them, and cars would come by and go around.
2: Okay, now, girls, I don't have too much time. So, what's happened is these girls have,
5: have found out that he works at the arcade.
6: It's Wait, the like, video uh, game arcade? An employee there. So he's picking, oh my god, the <laughs> actor's touching the Isn't that great? He's touching their nipples,
5: he really is. Yeah. Now, I'm glad I wasn't the director of this film because
6: I would have <laughs> fucked it up. I would have made horn sounds. <laughs> Ahuga. You would have been. Well, Ahuga. Like, okay, now I want you to touch her nipple and say, oh, it must be cold. And say it must be cold every time you reference her nipples. And go. <laughs> it must be cold. Okay, we got you. All right. He squirted in his face.
5: Okay, you now what they did is they talked to themselves privately, and they're like, listen, let's just give this nerd a free ride for a little while, and, you know, he'll let us into the arcade. We can be close up with the owner. I'll tell you the team later. Stuff like that. Like, he'll get in good at the arcade.
6: By doing what? Showing their boobies and then, like?
5: But, yeah, like rubbing up on him. He's the, So he's like, um, they he, the street. I, he had a nickname for his pee-pee. I should have told you to listen. Okay. hear okay. the sound. Up, maybe it comes up right now. A Wait. Took a picture, Polaroid picture. Don't! Yes. Oh, you are kind finally... You see this uh, cop? Oh. That's real. Oh, oh yeah, they, the they just... The yeah. and they gave him, like, his ass star treatment. Hey, hey, my man! Everyone gave him an autograph. And he let him keep filming.
6: Wow, his pink uh, pants. So, all right, so this movie is mentioned in a couple films... Books. There's a great book called Punk Rock Movies, which talks about every film that has punk rockers in it. And they talk about right. Surf 2 a lot. And they actually interviewed the, uh, the villain in this movie, King Vidyat, who is, of course, a punk rocker with his team of punk rockers. And that actor himself is actually Napoleon Dynamite. I read an interview with him recently in Shock Ma- uh, Cinema. John LeCreese. Really? Yeah. He's the creepy uncle. and the- $5 or more-
5: Wow, look at this. Oh, wait, oh, okay, I'm so sorry. I thought you meant Napoleon Dynamite himself. No, yeah, yeah. The creepy Uncle, right. Right, the Uncle. He's the punk Yeah I don't think He's I'm, good He's good Yeah
1: to play me. Okay
5: I gotta tell you For sort a of plot point On the left there yes. is like the daughter Of our heavy Of our bad, bad guy Okay Okay The bad guy He's been like uh, He's like a pillar Of the community And he just Hates his daughter Being there And he makes a lot Of trouble for them Now you see the guy Talking with the thin tie The thin 80s yeah, tie Yeah
6: the thin 80s Ties and the thin 80s Short sleeve shirt
5: yeah. This is our hero and um he was in Star Trek. I mean, like when I saw his face, that's when I remembered him. Do you remember the scene from Star Trek?
6: Star Trek the TV show and or movie it's Star Trek the
5: third movie the search for spa oh it was with her in the you're probably not a geek like me that likes Star Trek so much No, but I, I really love it and I like Star he Trek he was in the transporter Ooh, Wizard with of War or something
6: look at that woman playing Wizard of War I've never seen a woman play Wizard of War before <laughs> that's a two player game look she's totally nerding out on him the nerd recognized nerd
5: Right, and he's got no pants on, you know, yeah. got, they got ripped off.
6: So a nerd walks into a bar pantsless.
5: What? Now, uh, what our list? hero here, he's the head of the arcade while his grandfather is gone, okay?
6: What's with the malt, malt shop behind them? What? There's like a 1950s malt shop. Like that's. What I didn't gets, notice that. Uh, not a by bar. the way, this
5: arcade is not a real place. They made it in yeah. a warehouse.
6: No, I, I read that uh, in, the, in their interviews. That, that's pretty cool. Yeah,
5: and you'll see exterior shots of the arcade, um, especially a lot of them with our punk hero yeah. and, uh, or bad guy, and um, let's see how they're rubbing his pee
6: Right. And look at, they literally are. <laughs> well, they could be stunt hands. You hire prostitutes to do those close-up shots because they're you, they're you, they know what to do, and then you write off the prostitutes as a tax expense.
5: Look at him right there. You see him. No, you water, can water, tell water. that he's not really a nerd. We, he's a we address, cool guy in nerd costume.
6: Can we address the elephant in the room? We just had a Pac-Man cutaway, right, with the picture of Pac-Man going, and we watched. Yeah, you'll
5: and, see that throughout this entire film. And we've right.
6: seen a dozen footage from a dozen video games, and we see the video games in here. Do you think the producers paid any money or called any? Look at this. How 80s is that? <laughs> ruff, 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 ruff.
5: Oh, he's back to normal. God, the cocaine okay, back Okay, now, he, he's about to encounter Dorfus, the one who's in the poster that you were talking about.
6: Oh, yeah. He's the Bluto of uh, Joysticks. Look at him, he leaves
5: them right. Oh, he's a fat guy. They're going for gross out here.
6: But he generally looks gross.
7: Excuse me, young man. Would- You've got to stop playing the games.
6: We're dancing in the streets. We covered this song "Dancing in the Streets" for the Look at his face. six.
5: Yeah, he's acting, Carl. Okay, now this guy is uh, Jim Leaf Gre- Le- Greenleaf, Jim Greenleaf. Oh. He's a flat uh, fat frog character. He's a video game expert. So this guy, right? He was first on the Gong show. He did a skit of like a ping pong match in slow motion and it got the attention of Norman Lear of all people. And he called them and gave him a, a lead role in the show called All That Glitters. That it was a hit. Huh. But you and I know him from Surf too.
6: Oh, do tell.
5: Well, he's one of those gross fat boys. Remember, they were eating disgusting stuff on the beach.
6: Were they zombies or were they just eating? No, they were the two they were just eating. They weren't zombies.
5: Right. I think it was like uh, sandwiches and stuff
6: and. Well he's breaking into a Pac Man machine. Is
5: well cold. no, he's he he opened it up and he looked at the technical thing about it and he's seeing what the sticks, you see.
6: He's like, What can I stick my dick in?
5: No. The point is like he's a crazy expert with games.
6: So he created Match dot com or fucking Facebook too. <laughs> in real life. <laughs>
5: This guy was going to have a great career, but then he got into a car accident. This guy was on Mork & Mindy. Uh, he was on Laverne & Shirley as a regular. He, on, um, Mindy. he started James at 16. Do you remember that show? Yeah, I remember James at
6: 16. I'm a little, a little bit older
5: show. than you. Are you sure you remember no, it? No, it it's was a like 70s show. I, your
6: I, I'm familiar with you. It is It is before my time, but I know the show.
5: Yeah, so... James at 16 was 1978 in which I was like 12 I definitely was a regular watcher of that show it was like a first time you know something serial you know it was interesting this guy was on it that's how we started Huh. he was on Night Shift you know that movie Henry Winkler
6: oh of course that's uh oh look there's a hot dog between her boobies and yeah they're just doing up. another
5: gag see the same thing like,
6: people say like oh, I, when it comes to bad movies we can't movie riff comedies because they're very bad but I love bad comedies only in this world does this exist right in real life <laughs> yes. remember the time this woman came and she had a hot dog between her tits and you had to like pull it out in front of all these luring guys uh oh, here's the videos. This music is so generic. Oh you
5: know its name, the video it video it? Yeah. That's right.
6: Areas. This performance is the best.
5: This is the most fearless Now as you said I before heard. This is John Grise And in Napoleon Dynamite He was Uncle Rico
6: Yeah right And he does something Completely different In
5: Uncle Rico Look at him He's fucking But like he's always Been in movies And we just didn't know it Right He was in Men in Black As the van driver He was like Disgusting bugs he was in The Rundown As one of the Music. Hoods
6: The Rundown
5: He was in all of the Taken movies He's a bit under our nose
6: Yeah well I think he Like he kind of had a, a 70s presence Right, like he did. A, he
5: kind of had what?
6: I, I get him and another actor mixed up, but there's uh, I get him. Well, there's James LaGrosse right? There's,
5: I I don't know actually. Oh. Yeah, Here he is. He's-
6: Look at it. The, the girls are moving around like Pac-Man.
5: Yeah, that's right. And they don't get much other action. That's what those girls get. They they pretend. They always act in unison, and they're just, it's like they're henchmen for him.
6: Uh huh. But in King Vidiot and his mindless henchmen ever hit the video arcade. <laughs> Here's our heavy. Here's our heavy. Look at Joe, Joe, Joe Don Baker. Never looks better.
5: You know he's a Texan just by looking at him, even though he isn't in this movie. Well, he has such a thick accent. There's no way. So, like, this guy wasn't ever really in the biggest thing ever. I mean, he established himself as a Western cowboy action star, you know, in the fifth on the TV. But, but he—you know his face because he's been in a million movies. But he was never in that great role. Well, Remember no, I, that? I time? disagree.
6: I disagree because he was in Walking Tall, right? Walking Tall, right? Two and three, yeah. And he, yeah, played, he was uh, the big
5: deal in Walking Tall. That kind of was his big break.
6: Yeah. He was a football player before. I'm going
5: to take a guess. I don't think he was a football player, but no. He played, um, he played Felix. But I don't have my background in front of me about him yeah. 100%. But he
6: has played Felix. Do you remember Felix from the James Bond movies? The, the cat. No, the, yeah, the cat. The wonderful. Do you ever? He's a wonderful... Hey, you know, have you ever tried Felix's bag of tricks? Oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> man. Oh, man. I
5: okay, say, this guy uh, again yeah. Scott McGinnis you never saw him on Star Trek
6: wait Ted McGinnis you said Scott is I he the brother of Ted McGinnis who is in Married with Children and Happy Days
5: uh, I don't think
6: so I think so you
5: mentioned that movie Wacko yeah he was in it he played Norman Bates
6: okay so there you go so they, so that's also by the same director and had Joe Don mm-hmm. Baker
5: oh Fat yep. Joe Farted one time he was on um, Fact of life, <laughs>
6: he smelled his own fart.
5: Anyway, even though maybe you don't know it, but he played a young lieutenant dubbed as Mr. Adventure by Okura, you know, when they were in the transfer room in Star Trek Three, And that's what makes it exciting to...
6: Okay, so, hang on a second. What, what an amazing buddy.
7: Mama? Can I have some then?
6: Pardon. And she has a great accent. You know, I think you
7: cut it lettuce once or was a cabbage. Okay, now, there's the mom. Um,
5: excuse me, there's the daughter. And she's doing <laughs> Valley Girl. At
7: least I didn't take them. I
6: think that Dubbed it in.
5: All right, now, Patsy, we have an understanding. You will not go to the arcade again, right?
6: Here we go.
0: Daddy, if I want to go to the arcade, like, I am going to go. Okay.
6: <laughs> <laughs> what a bitch. Okay. No one talks that way. Well,
5: she certainly does go to the arcade every day. And that chafes this guy's ass. And he's going to make trouble for the...
6: I'm watching Fat Burger, like a fat sandwich. It's ketchup on something. So Scott McClane, this guy, is, I think his brother has to be the actor Ted okay. huh. So Ted McGuinness, Ted McGuinness is an actor who shows up in Happy Days. He marries Darcy in Married with Children. His last name is like Marcy. His last name is Darcy and she became Marcy Darcy. <laughs> Does that ring a bell? No. All right. I think for me, brothers. for me. I don't know. What do looks, I know? He looks exactly <laughs> the same. They look like brothers. I called okay. it. Nailed
5: it. Nailed it. McKinnis.
6: You want me to check proof fact, fact proof it? Nah, I can't even pronounce same. <laughs> call. can snopes that shit. He snopes it. Uh-oh, when the vans are knocking. When the vans are knocking.
5: Yeah, rocking. he goes, I put you in charge of official parking lot uh, observer. Go see what you can find and report back to us, but remember they might not want to be disturbed
6: but they <laughs> are going to get disturbed. Oh, look at it. they got a big old hole Ooh. in the shack covering. they got a hot look. tub in there. Look at those tits. You see the boobs? Look, she's not mad. No, she doesn't mind. Whoa! I fell to the hot tub. Look at the smiles.
5: Did you see the smile? Oh.
6: Well, the guy's happy. He's got another able body in
5: this hot tub. What I mean is, you can tell from this, like, it's not a real thing. It's like, okay, roll them, because that would be your hot tub. You wouldn't be like, Look, oh, this is hilarious. You have a Pac-Man
6: right? wipe into the other scene. Pac-Man goes across the screen. I'm sure Namco mm-hmm. is like, yeah, you can use our character, no problem. Right? right. Yikes. You, you can't do that now. You get sued by Pac-Man.
5: Oh, by the way, I was thinking, I should take you to the video arcade to my 12-year-old. So I went down to Willowbrook Mall. Oh, of course, it's closed. A... Eight years ago, years and years ago,
6: it was well, Right, it was Fun and Games video arcade at, uh, yeah, at yeah, the yeah, Willowbrook yeah. Mall. And, it, you know, it was the golden age because there was a Chuck E. Cheese right outside the mall, so you could hit two arcades, technically.
5: They're showing the picture that they got of him in the car. They're teasing him they tease him out throughout the whole thing but look at his face he's not a nerd he's a cool kid and he's got glasses on <laughs> he put on a wig
6: right well he's he's just Jewish that's all now this game looks good <laughs> She's looking Again, at free tokens. Pac- it's a Pac-Man ripoff where the like, blue cops are chasing uh, a burglar
5: around a, a maze full of dots. Yeah, listen, let me speak to that. This film, that this uh, video game that you're seeing here, absolutely was. <gasps> they're, oh, by the way, they're playing strip video game. Ha ha ha! How good. can they get away with that? <laughs> Will the um, not do this? You know, the blonde is very small in the chest area, but she's, well, of course, she looks like a little doll. A Barbie Barbie doll. (laughs) <laughs> right. Of course, Mike, I know you're a pig like me Okay, let me speak to yes. this game I just want to say that this is 100% a Pac-Man rip-off right. But it was a real game of the day And Pac-Man is 100% featured in this game You know the uh, the film You know the company Midway? They right. made Pac-Man in the United States That's right Do you know? Yes Okay so They were completely partners with uh, this Graydon Clark And... They, they, He licensed the image of Pac-Man, no and they were way. like, fine, have it for dirt cheap, because we want you to do it. And they, this great-on-Clark said, listen, do you have a game that's coming out? Because we can feature it in the movie, Which and then do? everyone will get hyped about it and buy it. Which they do. Yeah. Two games. The main one is called Satan's Hollow, and Which we'll sea? see it, like you know, in like, a... I dare you to go against me. If I win, you get the arcade. If you lose, we close.
6: Satan's you know, Hello is basically like a Space Invaders game where you have a ship in the bottom of the screen and you have to shoot above, <laughs> what are we watching? Hello. and then, uh, <laughs> um, We're watching nice uh, a
5: time before pornography in your on your telephone. That's what we're watching. You have uh. to go to the movies to see this stuff
6: yeah Ted's brother has got two ladies back to the back on him <laughs> what about the video game contest Ted's brother Ted's we brother we don't even
5: know that
6: Scott uh, hey what is Pluto pouring into the uh, love shack
5: it's um, like a fire actually it's a it's a, um, a fire extinguisher but they're saying like oh it's a fire and the alarm's going off They they're putting it in there like a kind of prank, yeah. Oh, Oh, and then (laughs) you run out of, Uh, and there is. Look, you see, they ran into the bad guy's arms and then they took a picture of him uh-huh. as if he was part of the madness down at the video arcade. I they? need that Polaroid. That Polaroid, Give me that. <laughs> Give me that Polaroid. Give me that Look. Okay, so here comes the daughter to distract him. Oh, I like the daughter. And he's like, I told you never to come in here again. Okay, this is the external... Close that place down. God, that is. It's like you- of the arcade, but it's really the warehouse. Now, that guy was like a you- He You recognize <laughs> face? From yeah, Stripes?
6: I do. Yeah,
5: I think it was Drifter. What was his name? Oh, Let me
6: see, I must have it here. Dean Stockwell.
5: Cruiser. In Stripes, his name was Cruiser. But the thing is, you see him here, and he's his young self, and you see Stripes in him. But if you saw his face as an older person, you you would know his face from movies, too. He was in Jurassic Park 3 as Cooper. He was in Miami Vice as a regular.
6: Yeah, I know you're talking about.
5: Yeah, yeah this is so weird. with probably, an old person's face.
6: No, I've seen this movie a couple of times, and I always thought they just ripped off Pac Man without paying for it. So it amazes me that they fucking handed it over to them to this movie. Yes,
5: <laughs> the, you know, consider the year; they know what's under their bread. Um, yeah, this one want- here is. Uh, this one here is is, is, is John Volgstadt. He was in Four Gump. He was in Leprechaun. He was a regular on New Heart, He was in Stripes also. Huh. He was in Charlie's Angels series. Chico and The Man he was a regular.
6: Now they're dressed up in costume. And this guy's supposed to look
5: orthodox? Well, you see, they are... Yeah, he's an orthodox. That's right. They're the, the nephews of our heavy. They're Uh-oh. kind of like henchmen.
6: Uh, they're, like, pretending to so, be hippies.
5: No, it was go down in disguise and, like, find out some crap about some weakness. Oh, okay, a, now, you our you. hero, right, the punk here, is, like, pretending that he's sexually excited by Maxine, who's, of course, Max dressed up.
6: <laughs>
5: Max is not it. Okay. John Grise... <laughs> the other girls in the crew don't seem to get jealous at all
6: yeah well they're just do the he's
5: not a his he's just a hippie
6: oh yeah no he's just a hippie you can tell by the hippie hat
5: don't forget the time,
6: right? I mean the sixties was,
5: yeah, yeah, was just yesterday in nineteen
6: eighty three. And they were and that was square. That'd be like if we dressed up as punk rockers and we went into a millennial right. video arcade.
5: It's a bam.
6: Wow, I'm a hippie. He's pretending to be four
5: flaws. Okay, here's a joke that's an insult against uh, the Chicanos of L.A. All right. See they, the, the car's all tricked. It's all tricked out. The video game like a car would be. <laughs> and he's playing the character of both Cheech and Chong. It's weird. guy with to play mission.
6: He's got a bobblehead chihuahua on top of the arcade cabinet. Oh, so he's got a contest? I hate when they walk into the arcade and they like, come on, we're going to hit you up, battle.
5: Well, they're not going to do a contest. We're actually not seeing a plot point. They just thought okay. they should drag this out. The joke is the machine is all tricked out. He's like, not anyone can be on this machine, senor. You know, ha-ha.
6: Oh, well, you go play Wizard of War. It's done. Yeah, that's kind of stupid, right? Wow, it's so amazing these arcades allow them to do that.
5: See, this movie is
6: bad as well as good. I
5: mean, it is a B movie. It right. is big. But the thing is, it was a perfect movie for its day. All Space of these Dungeons. video games are real. It's There's a game like Space a snapshot Dungeons? at a time in which there were arcades. You know, it's... Yeah. He's going like, Mrs. Pac-Man, just like me. and Now he's getting into being a girl.
6: Uh, I never heard of the video game Space Dungeon. What's a space which, dungeon, Carl? Is it like a which a, one? It's he, The hippies behind a game called Space Dungeon. You see dungeon. Oh. His, so like. I don't know. What's a space dungeon? Is it like an outer space? There's a cave, and inside the cave there's a dungeon. Is there a basement to outer space?
5: <laughs> a dungeon is
6: is like by definition
5: underground, right? Okay, right. So how can you be in space and be a dungeon? Yeah. You can't be underground. Okay, uh, so the nerd heard it all. I have to let you know the nephews just said, Hey, I got an idea for Uncle to really love us. We'll come back here in the middle of the night and we'll steal all the games. Uh oh. And like rest the place. Oh, look Uh-oh. at this. They're out here. Sexually That's inappropriate.
6: He's such a ham
5: yeah listen here
6: I saw I saw two guys dressed in costume
5: and they said they're gonna come back here tonight well we can't let that happen right right, so what do we do he's not like I'm gonna call the cops he's like no he's like I have an idea
6: we'll kill their family (laughs) yeah
5: I got a plan all right so what's okay, the now? For some stupid reason, nerd and fatso uh-huh. are going over to bad guy's house.
6: Okay. Can we, can we call them something else other than nerd and fatso?
5: Like maybe like Pac-Man? Oh, we Pac could <laughs> oh uh, 2018 like. Okay, let me think here. We could call them Super Pac-Man. Uh, wait here. Smart, okay, let me get my glasses. Here we go.
6: Smart Pac-Man and Fat Pac-Man. <laughs> we
5: could call them okay Dorfus uh huh and oh you just reading their names Jonah Green okay Lace screen Lace screen and so it's Dorfus and Eugene okay, okay. Dorfus mm-hmm. and Eugene are breaking in
6: there's nothing like a good no, comedy. they're going to go
5: through the second story window and that's where the the wife character is sleeping and they will have a sexual encounter. <laughs> Wait a minute,
6: they're going to go with into
5: the... The wife uh, character.
6: Oh my God, he's really going to fall. They're really like out the window.
5: Remember Bluto? This happened to Bluto? Yeah, but he just
6: saw this woman take her, dra- her bra off and then he fell off the lap. Yeah. He didn't go in there and have sex with her
5: the thing is the, the the mom the wife she's like asleep uh, so what they're doing with her even though in her dreams she thinks she's having sex or something it is inappropriate it's non-consensual you know what I mean uh, the so woman's yeah, asleep
6: and she's medicated right is that what he's looking at
5: he's, uh, she's suffocating what'd you say
6: she's medicated on pills
5: Oh, is she probably? I'm sorry, I guess I missed that even though I saw the film. Did pills drop?
6: He's holding pills in his hand, see? Did he shake shaky shake? Yeah.
5: So she grabs the crotch. And Dorfus is like, Eugene, you're about to get, you're going to lose your cherry. You're going to get laid. No. <laughs> it's stupid. Like, come on, help me, please. Help. you? Come on, quit fight. You know, Porky's came out just before this, just prior to this.
6: Yeah, and then they couldn't wait to put out a film like this. I mean, this was like the explosion that Porky's caused with films like these. Mm. And they combined some Animal House, which was 78, but... And Porky's was also a nostalgic thing. It was like, remember when we, had, we were Went to school in the '60s. Yeah, yeah. With all of its strictness and yeah. And okay, they here's our henchman
3: nephews.